Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Well, you know, we're going to be talking today about that God speaks through prophecy. If you didn't know that, you do it now. He does. We'll talk about that a little bit more. We're going to be talking about that a lot more, actually, over a period of time here as we go through. Daniel's broken into chapters 1 through 6, which are most of the stories you've heard in Sunday school if you've been in church. And the stories and narratives about Daniel and his, his interactions with the kings that he's under and the amazing ways God shows that he's the king above all kings and his kingdom is never ending. You see that all the way through. But then you see it at the end from 7 to 12. It's just a lot of prophetic dreams. And so we're going to be covering some wild dreams in the next uh, few weeks and some interpretation of that. And, uh, and what, what I love about God is kind of in a big picture as we get started is the very clear truth about God, he's, he's a communicating God. And he l- longs and loves for you to have a relationship with him. So he's always communicating. He's always inviting you in. And so this has been true all throughout history. And he speaks to us, right? And he speaks to us in many ways. He communicates in, in direct ways. I mean, even when we just come before him in prayer, he wants to communicate and he wants to bring, what, revelation of who he is and who, what's going on with you. And as you think about as you read Scripture, he speaks through that spot. And it's interesting within God is that even in Scripture, it's, it's God breathed, but He always is using these people. So He not only wants us to uh, participate, I mean, to actually open ourselves up to Him and receive from Him and get to know Him, He actually just puts us right into the plan, and He wants to use us to have come through us as well. And so as we look at that, we see in Scripture, we see all these different people that He used you know, the, you could go through, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Noah, Moses. You can just name any of them. And you can say God was using those people. You can look at the apostles, and you can see God was using those people. And so as we go through this, Daniel is somebody that God used. He's a human, but God came through him and spoke prophetically so we could actually, again, be drawn to God. And so as we read Scripture, even wild dreams that Daniel has, he's in that, and he wants to speak to us through that. And so, as we think about prophecy, it, it's, it's pretty central to Scripture. Um, if you look at, you know, prophecy, over 25% of the Bible is prophecy. Now, you'll see lots of figures on this because it's very hard to define when you say prophetic what that means. You can say, well, I'm just taking all the count of the prophets, or you... But quite honestly, if you look at Scripture, you're going to see lots of really clear prophetic (laughs) uh, prophecies. You'll see over 1,200 in the Old Testament. You'll see over about 600 in the New Testament. And anywhere in between, there's all kinds of prophetic, even pictures through, through stories and types. So God is always speaking in this place of prophecy. And uh, so if you think about in the Old Testament, you know, you have 39 books, and 27 of those books, I mean, you're going you're to see a huge portion of those books that are going to be actually prophecy. And in, the, and in the New Testament, 27 books, you're going to see the same thing. You'll see all these places of prophets. And so in this spot, you'll see six major prophets, not that they're better, but they're just longer, the, the writings are. And then you have six minor prophets. They just got a bad name. They're just as good. They're a little smaller. 
And so you have the, like out of the, out of the 39 books, you have 18 books that are just prophets speaking what God is saying. And they were the mouthpiece of God, you know. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, if you had a prophet come and tell you, you have sin in your life, you didn't think, oh, I don't think so. You just repented <laughs> because they were known. They had to carry that authority, right? And so as, it, as you look at prophets in the Old Testament, they were addressing all kinds of things. Sometimes we think of prophetic as only forward thinking as far as prediction of the future, which is part of this. But it's much better than that because it's really a part of revealing God to his people and helping them understand what's happening around them. So prophets are always going to the place of returning people to following the, the law and saying, You've, here's, what, here's what brings blessing, and you're drifting away. And many times they, they might come in and, and actually approach people for a, a place of turning to idols or cause them to have given promises for what's taking place. There is, in the prophets, you had a section of prophets who were always talking when Ezra had their land, and he'd do a lot of discussion about what was to, to be the, the, uh, the country of Israel. What, is it, what should it look like? What should that nation be like? But then they got in exile, and there's a whole other set of prophets that said, okay, while you're in exile, we see there when Jeremiah, you'll see them, they're in exile, and they're getting words from the prophets, how do we live in this situation? And the prophets would speak, and Daniel was one of those prophets. And so as we go through this, we're going to be going through chapter 7, we'll have Sarah come up here, and I'm going to have her read as we go through this. And I would say this, is this is, uh, this is something in which that. Uh, we're going back to Belshazzar, and he's actually being spoken to, so we're backtracking just a tiny bit as it's going back to that. But as Sarah shares, you want to do it there? Okay. And as, as, Sarah, as Sarah reads, I want you to really be thinking about kind of imagining this. And sometimes, for you people who say, when I read, I can't imagine, close your eyes and just listen and picture these wild beasts that you're going to be hearing about. All right. All right, Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. 
His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. That was a lot. So we have a 20-week series. We're going to be moving into this passage. No, we're going to get done in one week as we go through this. And uh, there's going to be lots that I'm just skipping over. Not because I'm not tempted to go down some roads, but for your sake, we're going to narrow it down a little bit. But I encourage you to be reading over that. Uh, um, you might want to ask me for some good commentaries and some bad ones as you read over it, <laughs> if you need some help. Um, 
but as we go through this, is that I, I, I think one thing I, I, I highlight is that there's two verses that stood out to me is after this very vivid dream. You guys kind of know enough to like, when you've had a dream that rattles you, put that times a lot to the place you're in a, in a process of trying to figure out what just went on and you just, everything's, usually dreams just drift away. This one doesn't drift away. This is God speaking in very specific, like a very clear picture you can't shake. And uh, in verse 15 it says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. <laughs> right? And it, I, I, it, all these things passed through my mind and his response was, it's disturbed to me. So then he went and got an explanation from one of the people, I guess he's interacting in this dream, and uh, gets this explanation of interpretation. And he's, so he's grasping it. And then the, after that, he's in 28, it says, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. Now, when you say, this is just uh, one good theological point. Sometimes when God speaks to you, it doesn't do much at first that except disturb you. You guys know that one? It makes you angry sometimes. You resist. There's things going on. And as you're, you don't know what this means, you're in good company. Daniel, who's pretty prophetic, was hearing these things from God and he was disturbed by he was but you have to understand as he was looking at these things it wasn't just some kind of a, a visual picture he was feeling what was happening in levels and understanding it and it, it, what he was saying what's coming is troubling to me right now so as we go through this um, we're going to do a, a kind of a, a quick overview just to keep you in places this is what he did not see okay <laughs> This is not troubling beasts. It is on the internet, but he did not see this. Disney saw this, but no one else saw it. So you have to understand, it's really probably a better idea not, you know, I know you guys will be sneaking on your phone. Look at, it's better not to look at the imagery we come up with because it just doesn't capture it. There is some disturbing imagery, but mainly because of cheesiness disturbing. But the reality of it is there's a lot in there. But th the bottom line is, is he was trying to say it's best like this. It wasn't something that was so vivid in what sense of knowing what it was as he was understanding this is a real thing. And so as we go through it, I got a blurry picture that actually helps a little bit because then you can't really worry about the beast so much and think about what's taking place. And I want to just go through and just talk about some things that, you know, are are kind of pretty clear, uh, according to most theologians, and then we'll close with the, a few that are not clear at all. Uh, but as you go through this, he asked about what these beasts are representing. And if you can imagine this, this wind, four winds coming, whoosh, stirring it up, you got the sea, and then you have beasts or monsters. They're coming out of the sea, and uh, you know, that's not, a, that's not a calm evening, right? So, you're, those are coming out, and so he goes through it. He begins looking at it. As they come out of the sea, you know, we, the first that comes out is this, it was like a lion with wings of an eagle, uh, and, and then the wings were torn off, and, uh, and they came from the ground. He went on two feet and became a human, received a mind, 
And that's talking about Babylon. And it's actually something that's already happened because the king before who he's speaking it to was Nebuchadnezzar. And if you can, it doesn't take a lot to see that in Babylon's kingdom, if, that he's on the ground, he's, he stands up, he, his mind returns. And so that one there for most theologians, like that's, that's speaking of that kingdom. And then there's this bear with three ribs in its mouth, this kind of lopsided bear. And, uh, and that is mostly, most people believe that's the, the Medo-Persian uh, empire which followed. Uh, which we talked already a little bit about. And kind of the characteristics of that particular empire was its power <laughs> and it's how it just overwhelmed kingdoms, kind of slow advancing of, of armies. And uh, the bear is representing that. And so then we go to the third beast, and the third beast is this leopard, and uh, but not your normal leopard, a four-headed leopard with four wings. And uh, as we look at that, we really, most people will look at that and say, well, that, that's uh, the Greek of, you know, Alexander the Great. In fact, one person that talked about that in, in writing about it, he said that, you know, this, there's been no empire in history that has advanced so fast and quickly so this idea of the four wings and the fast of a leopard to the point that it says, one writer says, nothing in history of the world was equal to the conquest of Alexander. In 12 years, he subdued parts of Europe and all of Asia. Now, so maybe there's some disagreement. Now, that, that is probably their, my best theological guess because I read people who are smarter than I am. So that's kind of where I'd say most people are at. You get to the fourth beast, gets a lot more blurry. Uh, most people would see this. This fourth beast is very stands out. Like, it's like, ah, kind of, <laughs> this is the one I want to know about, Daniel says. This is the one that's freaking me out a little bit. And it's the weirdest one of the bunch, right? And there's just, if you can imagine the, how this felt to him, it was terrifying creature, creature uh, uh, with horns and with eyes. And most people see that as being Rome, coming in, and so, but there's a lot of mix-ups in that because there's the end of the world. There's the whole place of the consummation of the kingdom and Jesus coming back and, and judgment coming and all that, and that hasn't, and, and, and so the kingdom has been overthrown in Rome, so there's lots of different ways of is this something that's been raised back up or is this more spiritual in, in nature and how it's described, and so I'm going to give you the ultimate answer today. No, I'm not. I'm going to say wow, <laughs> there's a lot of options here, right? And all I do know, I'm pretty simple, like, freaks me out a little bit. You got a horn, which is representing these places of authority and power and might. You know, he has 10 of them, so it's a little different. Can't even try to even describe what this thing is. And, um, and then, you know, you, then you get to a spot where there's these Ten horns, and then there's another horn, small horn, and the three horns go away, and, and then this other horn comes up, and then this horn starts talking to you with eyes, you know, like, and Daniel is not on drugs. This is God, right? He's, but it's disturbing, right? And he's mocking. And so most people understand in the broader sense, this is speaking of the, the end of the age and the place of judgment coming and Christ returning, and this is the Antichrist, all right? So the in-between stuff... Lots of discussion. 
But in that, we can say, okay, this is obviously, we can see through many other texts, this is what this is, is referring to. And so as we go through that, you know, it's real important for us to understand that he was even disturbed by this. And the good news, though, of this is, is what happens at the very end. This horn, <laughs> this Antichrist, was persecuting followers of God, and God came in, plopped in his throne as judge, and said, stop it, and made judgment, and Christ came or turned as king, a king that was everlasting, right? <laughs> That's a pretty cool deal. I mean, this is a reality that he's looking way out and watching this take place. Now, the thing I want to talk a little bit about is this thing of like, just like prophetic words. Why do we need them? Why does God use these prophetic words? This is, this is very dramatic, but throughout Scripture, so much of Scripture is tied to this place of the prophetic. In places that, you know, it's not an Excel sheet that gives A, B, C, this, that. It's this whoosh picture that you see that stirs you, and it's not completely clear. Why does he do that? What's the prophetic even about? <clears throat> well, I want you to start there. The prophetic of God is very simple. It's to reveal God to us at our deepest place, right? It's not just intellectually understanding facts. It's revealing the person, the king, to us in our deepest place to the point we respond to that king. And as we think about that is we, if you think about revelation in the broader sense before you tie it down to the specifics of prophetic, pretty much the Bible is revelation. It's a degree of, a, a form of prophetic, like it's God-inspired. It, as we read it, God speaks to us. It takes us to Jesus the King. We can go through that. So we, we understand it. it's the same way as prayer and worship. What happens during that time? What causes us to come to know and love Jesus more is we have revelation of who He is. He reveals what's going on in our life. He reveals what's, who He is in places of, of His character, and it, it affects us as we get to know Him, and it changes and transforms us. And so the whole place of prophetic is very the place of revealing God to us so we can are drawn and we are able to give ourselves fully and worship Him because we can see Him better. And that can happen through all these things. It can happen through a power encounter by the Holy Spirit. You, it's a place, what's that for? Some exciting thing? No, it's to show you, give you a glimpse of the kingdom and to understand who God is, right? So, as we think about the prophetic, um, kind of narrowing it down to the spot of specifically this particular text, but you can, you can kind of expand this to other ways as places of where uh, there is prophetic words, and we see that all the way Old Testament and New Testament, you know, we, and it's not just revelations. We look at Jesus, we look at disciples, we see people giving prophecy, we, it's, it's our gift of prophecy, all those kind of things. So it's a broad range of what we're talking about as far as the prophetic, but when you talk about this place, let's just even just put it in the text of what we're doing today, all right? So we've had this wild dream. How does that apply to me right now? Like, what can we take away? And some of it is 
the broadest is he's revealing himself to us, but specifically what I mean by the prophetic reveals who God is to you is when you experience the prophetic, when, you, when you're taking that in, whether it be through this or any kind of prophetic, but we're going to focus just to keep it on Daniel, it's to bring hope and light and confirmation into who God is. You read it and you go, that's who God is. <laughs> I didn't know he was that way, right? You, you see him in ways that you may not have ever seen him before. You're seeing him in this passage in many ways you might have never seen God before. As the Ancient of Days and as the Son of Man, and all we're going to talk about those things as we go through this, I mean, this is God's revealing it through that. And so there's this confirmation that takes place in that. And there's also this place that when we take in the prophetic, we start seeing not just God, but it shows us who we are and how God sees us. I mean, you think about this, is when you're in this story, and he gets that last part, when there's, and he talks about us, these worshipers, being protected and saved and brought in the kingdom, you think, that's me. Or if you don't know Jesus, you might be thinking, I, I want that to be me, right? That's a big part of understanding this is who you are. This is what your future is coming and when you grasp that, it, it affects you. The other thing about prophetic words is it reveals God's sovereignty so we can rest in his, as his plan unfolds. This is one we've talked about different ways, but I'm telling you, this is a big one. Some of you are real young, and you're gonna, your goal is to dodge trouble, and you're not going to do it, all right? And some of you are in middle age, and you're thinking, I'm in trouble, and I'm surprised by it. Some people are just shut down because they can't figure this out. But I'm telling you, the, there's a spot in which that when you know that God is sovereign, and you're not in charge, and you cannot control things like massive kingdoms and shifts and all the things that take place that troubled Daniel as he was looking at that, when you start knowing, I cannot control that, which we often think we can, it changes your life because you know the end of the story. And you know God, even though I can't understand this, even though I'm confused by this, he is not confused by this. And we can live actually in the middle of trouble and unknown and mystery and still be completely at peace because we know He's in control and we can actually just observe His plans unfolding versus trying to make His plans unfold the way that we hope He will make them plan. You know how much energy we spend in trying to make His plans fit into ours? It's exhausting and it doesn't work. And if you think, it's kind of working right now, give it time. It won't work. It just won't. And the other thing I'd say on this is it. there's something about prophetic words that are so helpful because they prepare us for what's ahead. And that can be visionary in a sense that you uh, can know, oh, there's a, I don't know what that means, but I know it's tied to something that God's taking me to that is really powerful, but it also is tied to the place of understanding He can tell you it's going to get rough. You know, 
I mean, isn't that what Jesus had to do? He loving, representing God fully. He says, you know, hey, um, in this life, well, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> All right. Don't be surprised about fiery ordeals we see in Scripture. You know, don't, as something strange is happening to you. I mean, it's preparing you. It's a spot. But if you look at this, and it's disturbing. The end of time is a bit disturbing. <laughs> Give you, put any eschatology you want to it, it's disturbing. <laughs> And, and what happens is we're trying to figure out all the details. It's like, no, the point is, oh, I need to be prepared. And what would make me prepared for that? And the other thing is it motivates us. This is a big one. It motivates us to seek and depend and worship God. You know, it's like he knows what we humans do when we have information. <laughs> Too much information beyond what we need, it becomes our God. It becomes our plan. We find ourselves putting it together. There's a whole different way when you have prophetic, it is kind of amazing. Like, I mean, there's, there's huge things that are cool about the prophetic that show God's real, and you can say, I mean, I love Christmas because Isaiah is like, this is amazing. Every time I read Isaiah, this is amazing. It's just telling everything. And so there's all these amazing things about understanding how these things go together, which is testimony. But there's another part of it that just motivates you to say, I want to be closer to the king. <laughs> I want to be ready for what God has. I want to live now according that matches with what's going to come in the future. It causes you to be a place of just being dependent on God. When you see these kind of things and you get a grasp of it, I, didn't, I don't think Daniel said, oh, thank goodness I got this figured out, now I can rest. No, he thought, i got to worship God. His, his level of seeking increased, yet there was a taste of what was there that he could get a hold of at the same time. So let's do through this just practically, uh, not sure what my words there, but, uh, but practically, I'm going to just read a couple of verses, and then we're going to just put that into practice, especially this place of God's prophetic words brings hope, light, and confirmation. And I'm going to read a few verses I think actually bring better explanation than I can to the prophetic. Peter says it this way. He says, and when we received, when he received honor and glory, speaking of Jesus, from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. God, when he was baptized, he came out of, the, out of the water, says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard the, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And it goes on in verse 19, it says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we will do very well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And Jesus goes on to say, I mean, Peter goes on to say, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man but God spoke from, but uh, men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. To me, that just gives you an understanding of prophecy. I mean, it's just so good. It's like you, you actually have this thing that it testifies like, oh my goodness, when they heard God's voice come from heaven, they thought back to Scripture of prophecy and said, this is what this is. And it confirmed what it, it, it confirmed and brought this tremendous hope because what was written in prophecy. And it talks about this place. That I love it where it talks about this place that it's this, you start out and it's this place where it, we need to pay attention because it's a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises. I use that verse a lot in Proverbs that says, you know, that, I think it's in Proverbs, is that, you know, the path of the righteous is like the dawning of the sun that goes brighter and brighter to the full day of, you know, to the full day of, uh, of uh, full brightness of day, whatever it is. And uh, I, because I love that because that's really what our relationship with God is. We, we see it more and we see it more. And prophecy is this place that's not fully clear. It's, it's, it's limited, but it gives us a spot to see a little more and it causes us to the place that we can see that God is with us and we're advancing along. And then so taking that into account, let's, let's allow the, the prophecy of this to, to light up and bring us hope and bring us confirmation. As we go through this, it's talking about this son of man in this dream. All of a sudden, the son of man starts showing up in this, coming in the clouds, right? And he approached the ancient of days. Ancient of days is a reference to, to God, right? I've always been there. That's the, the term we'll see throughout. And then there's this place of he comes in, and then people begin worshiping him, and there's this everlasting dominion that will not pass and will never be destroyed I mean, if that doesn't bring you hope. But then you look at the, in 21, he continues on, continues on more, even more detail as he was watching this, this weird horn that was mocking and had this great power to destroy and all this authority of the Antichrist waging war against the, the holy people and defeating them until, until, the ancient of days, God came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people, most high, and people of the most high. And look at this. And the reward was we possessed the kingdom. <laughs> this everlasting. Now, that's pretty encouraging. It should be encouraging to us because we know Jesus. But it should be encouraging. I mean, if, look at, if you can imagine being a disciple and us reading it now, it's just the same way. It just gets you. Is Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the end times and how bad it's going to get, and he's preparing them for it. You can read uh, before this in, in chapter 24 of Matthew, and he's preparing his disciples, and it says, but he gives this ending after he gives, describes how difficult it's going to be. It's going to be so he puts this ending on it immediately after the distress of those days. And he goes, the sun will rise, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give uh, if it's light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Speaking of this transformation, the consummation of the kingdom of Christ's return, and just what we talked about in Daniel. And then he says, thinking right about Daniel himself, because he knows the scriptures, and then will appear the sign, the Son of Man, which Jesus always refers to himself as, in heaven. And then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with the power of his great glory. 
and he will send the angels with a loud trumpet, speaking of judgment, a trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds. Again, I think it's interesting, after the four winds of this, this uh, prophecy, the four winds will come from one end of the heaven to the other. And at the end he goes, now don't, I want you to do this because you need to pay attention to these things so as things come you'll understand what's happening. You'll be aware of that. I mean, that, that is us. And when you read that, if you're not a little disturbed and saying, I want to see the Son of Man coming and be happy, not mourn. That's what I want to do. <laughs> you don't have to be much theologian to get that one, right? Just I want to be ready for this. I want to be a worshiper in that. So, the worship team can come on up. I want to give you an invitation. And the invitation for today is really this verse that you can kind of meditate on. I encourage you maybe to just do it even beyond our time here today, but even today, is let this future shape your life on earth. Your future, how you see what's really going to happen in the future will shape how you live now. And what would it mean for your life to grasp this moment when he has been given authority and glory and sovereign power of all nations and the people of every language worshiped him? His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Take that in and think about that future and say, God, how do I respond to that?